Welcome to 66 Lessons for Life, the weekly radio program recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. Taught by our teacher, John Garepa, an attorney who guides us in the way of wisdom with a biblical worldview. You're invited to join us for the study. All right, we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. I wanted to finish a few points from last week that I've left untaught, and that is, I want to focus on verse 34 in chapter 12, and I will read it. The crowd spoke up, we have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever, so how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Amazing statement. Who is this Son of Man? Now, Jesus has for three years repeatedly used the phrase, the Son of Man. I think in one of the studies that I had done, it became, it, he used it about 69 times uh, in the Synoptic Gospels. And so it, it, it was a phrase that Jesus used to identify himself. It was a phrase that if you studied Scripture, you would know precisely what it was. And the Son of Man was effectively God himself. Uh, and Jesus hardly ever referred to himself as the Messiah. Hardly ever. And the reason for that was that the connotation of saying uh, the Messiah had become a political connotation. The Jews had focused on the fact that they had been uh, prisoners, effectively, of the Romans for uh, of over a hundred years and would continue to be under the heel of the Romans and that they had been constantly conquered by various peoples over the back centuries. And so they were looking for someone who would take them out of bondage. And so they have elevated the terminology of the Messiah to be almost a political Messiah. Uh, and Jesus was not interested in politics. Let me rephrase that and repeat it. Jesus was never interested in politics. Now that doesn't mean that we as Christians shouldn't have an interest in politics or be concerned about government, or be concerned about voting. But some of us, we get obsessed, obsessed about the political process. And I would say, uh, while I have very sincere and profound thoughts about who I want to see uh, take control of this government, at some point I don't become obsessed. Because here's what happens if I become obsessed. The day after election day, if the other side wins, I need to go to a hospital. <laughs> and all I can tell you is after the last election, I must have gotten 30 calls from women who asked me to talk their husbands uh, off of a bridge. <laughs> you understand? I, some, some of them couldn't get out of bed for the whole day. Right? And so I understand it. You understand? I understand it. You, you, you're sad. You understand all the things. But Jesus is living in the time where Rome is in charge. Look at these emperors. Nero, for crying out loud. They, you know, they were lighting the streets by crucifying the Christians and burning their corpses. All right? So, so and what did Jesus say? Give unto Caesar that which is Caesar. Give unto God that which is God. It's like Jesus was saying, this infinitesimal period of time when this government is in charge, give it to them. Because I'm in charge of eternity. 
I'm in charge of attorneys. So I pray that our, our people have a vision like that. Um, and, and so they had, they had taken the connotation of Messiah to a level in which they had uh, created it uh, for political purposes, and Jesus wanted nothing to do with that. And that's why I told you that on Palm Sunday, when Jesus came in uh, to Jerusalem, they laid the palm branches out. That was because they were repeating what had taken place 150 years before when one of the zealots had taken control of, of Jerusalem, thrown out the Syrians, and when he came back into Jerusalem, which had been freed, they laid down the palms celebrating his victory. And so they thought, this is it. It's again, Jesus is coming in. We're going to be free politically. And Jesus wanted to make sure that he was not part of that process. Uh, and that's why he cried for them. But they didn't understand it. They didn't understand it. So this was the title that Jesus used for himself. Son of God. Uh, and if you had read scripture... Uh, and, and studied scripture, you would have understood what Son of God meant. Now, here's the problem. They had not studied scripture. The rabbis and teachers in Israel, for the prior three or four hundred years before the birth of Jesus, had failed to teach the prophetic books. And one of the books that they had failed to teach was the book of Daniel. And so, they did not understand the prophecies. They did not really come to terms with knowing what was going to take place, which is why you see the juxtaposition of the wise men coming from present-day Iraq, coming into uh, Jerusalem, knowing what the scriptures had done because they had studied them. Why? Because the wise men had come out of the school of Daniel. That's where Daniel was, Daniel's had followers there, and that people had studied with Daniel, uh, and so as time had gone on, they would have been they had been prepared to study the Scripture. Well, the Jews had not, and so turn with me to Daniel chapter seven. And I always say, especially I want to repeat this for those people who are new to my classes: there is one Bible, one Bible, not two Bibles, uh, and the Old Testament and the New Testament are inextricably linked together. Daniel chapter 7. This is where you're going to see the terminology of the Son of God. Verse 13, Daniel is now being given a vision, and you know that this is an incredible vision that he's being given um, uh, of what will happen to Israel. And then in verse 13 it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, underline that, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Amen? Amen. So, here you go. This is a passage that's written somewhere around... 550 or so BC, so we're talking about 550 years plus or minus before Jesus will be born. And Daniel is given the specific vision of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. That's the terminology. One like the Son of Man. Well, when you read this, it's very clear that this Son of Man is God Himself. Because the Son of Man goes before the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days is God the Father. Uh, and there, before, standing before God the Father, Jesus is given all authority and all dominion. 
and all peoples and all nations will worship it. Well, there it is. There you see the, the very foundational precept for who Jesus will, will be and, and how he will come. And Jesus will embrace this title. This will be the title Jesus will call himself, Son of Man. And so you see it uh, very clearly articulated. Now, there's only about one other time that I can find that Jesus uh, submitted to the title of Messiah. Turn to John chapter 4. And by the way, when Jesus is using a title of, of Son of, of Man, it's very clear he's saying, I'm God. And so when you have people that say, Jesus never said he was God, I, 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 you know, people are ignorant. You know, he only said it about 50 times, okay? Uh, he, and every time he used the phrase Son of Man, Son of Man meant God, meant Son of God. And so I gave you an example right there where it's 69 times that it's referred to in the synoptics. And so here you see John chapter 4, verse 25, the encounter with the Samaritan woman. And here you see the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Can you imagine? What an amazing encounter. Here it is, this woman uh, who is at the very lowest level of society, who nobody wanted to have anything with, had gone through five or six husbands, was living with another man now, would have been thrown on the, on the rubbish pile of life. And yet Jesus, Jesus encounters her and, and, and tells her, I, I am the Messiah. Uh, and that was a title that he, that he, he did not want to use because he did not want want people to take political connotations. Now, uh, while we're looking at this, Jesus also admitted to being pre-existent. Pre-existent, meaning from the very foundations of the world, Jesus existed. Turn to John chapter 3. All of this relates to the subject I'm trying to, to uh, teach you now about being the Son of Man. Verse 13, John 3, 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Underline that. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Isn't that magnificent? Here it is. He lays it out again. I am the Son of Man. Nobody, nobody had come from heaven before. Nobody had pre-existed in heaven before, but the Son of Man. And the Son of Man will be lifted up like the snake in the desert where everyone who looked at the snake was delivered and didn't die. And so there you see early on in his ministry, and this is an early uh, example of Jesus admitting early on in his ministry that, that not only is he the Son of Man, but that he has come uh, to give his life uh, for his people to all that are saved. Now, it gets even broader. Who is the Son of Man? Well, the Son of Man, besides being your Savior, besides being God, besides being pre-existent, besides being there as the creative agent that God delegated, the uh, very creation, uh, as we studied in John chapter 1, everything, all of the things that you see in this world that are created, Jesus Christ created, we understand that. But now, we also know that the Son of Man will be involved in the time of the final judgments. This is important because it expands the role of the Son of Man. Turn to John chapter 5, verse 26. 
For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Am I making my point? All right? We probably never realized how many times. How many times Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. And so here it is. The Son of Man, on top of everything that I've given you, because of the authority given to him by Father God, uh, Jesus will be the one who determines the final judgment. Jesus will sit as a judge uh, in front of everyone who will pass, that certainly that have not committed themselves to Christ. Uh, it will certainly be, we call that the white throne judgment, Jesus will be there. But Jesus will speak with us as we pass. Uh, and Jesus is not really a judge at that point because we're all saved, but Jesus will be determining our rewards. Amen. All right? Very different thing, as I've told you about. Very different thing. We kid about that, you know, we, 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 we kind of uh, poke fun at ourselves, saying that, you know, I want to make sure I get a waterfront uh, condo, I don't want to be too far back, I like the water, you know, and of course none of that it makes any sense at all, uh, you know, the rewards that Jesus is going to be dispensing are going to be rewards for leadership positions. Jesus is training you right now for whatever you're going through, for someday for you to become a leader in some part of the kingdom. Amen. That's all I can tell you. Amen. I don't know more than that. All right. If I start going off and, and speculating, it'll be my opinion and not what I can get from Scripture. But clearly, Scripture tells us that, that, that that's what God has intended for us. So, here you see it. Jesus, Son of Man, from the beginning uh, of a God himself. Who, who, is, who right from the very beginning recognized that, that he, his body would be given up for the people in, in sacrifice. Uh, and I also want you to turn to Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. And this is uh, the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos having a vision, having a vision of Jesus, and this is what he sees. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And by the way, the lampstands uh, represent the churches, the existing churches at the time. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest, his head and hair were white like wool and as white as snow and his eyes were like blazing blazing fire can you imagine and there you see it there is the there's the vision of what Jesus most likely looks like now uh, when he makes his appearances Amen. that's what he looks like now um, and you look at verse 17 further on down it says as follows when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead. I guess you did. Then he placed his right hand to me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. That's the Alpha and the Omega. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And there you go. There's the Son of Man in his full glory. There's the authority of Jesus Christ. 
So when you come into a world, when you come before people who say, well, I think Jesus was a, a good man, I think he was a prophet, an important man, he did a lot of good works, nonsense. Don't go down that road. Amen. Jesus was none of that. Jesus was God. Jesus was God. He told us he was God. He said it over and over and over again. And we were too blind to understand that that's exactly what the scriptures had prophesied before. Jesus was God, the Son of God in every way. And that's important for you to convey this to the world. And when people tell you, well, oh, Jesus never said he was God. Well, now I've just given you like 65 <laughs> reasons for you to uh, tell them that they don't know what they're talking about. Amen? Amen. Now, we're moving on to the new section of, of teaching today, which is John chapter 12. Two verses we're going to focus on. Verses 35 and 36. Then Jesus said, and this is to the question of who is this son of man? Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. By the way, what I find interesting is here is these people are trying to engage Jesus in some kind of theological discussion. Who's the Messiah? Who's the son of man? What is this about? What is going to take place? It's like, uh, I, I want you to read the tea leaves, Jesus. What, what's what's going to happen? Well, give me some prophecy here. Tell me what you're going to do. And Jesus rejects it. It's so interesting to me. Jesus rejects it. I'm not going down that path. I'm not interested in engaging you in some theological discussion. I want to talk to you about what's really important. Here's what he says. Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so you may become the sons of the light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. This is the last public teaching that we have recorded of Jesus. Everything else that takes place after this that's written about Jesus is all private teaching, private sayings to his disciples, to his followers. This is the last broadly uh, made statement that Jesus is making to those people who, who have not accepted him. Um, and so it's important that we study these last words for what they say, because Jesus is not engaging them in a theological discussion about the Messiahship. He's not engaging them with that, or talking about the prophetic utterances of what will take place. Instead, he's talking about the fact that your day is coming to an end. I am the light. And in just three days from here, pretty much, God would blot out the sun, on Calvary for several hours. Yet there was still time for these people to turn to the light. Uh, and so Jesus is saying to them, turn to the light now before the darkness overtakes you. Put your trust in the light while you have time. Uh, and so it's so interesting to me to see that. Seize that. He says, seize the light while you have it. Now these words apply equally to us today. Seize the light while you have it. Accept Jesus Christ while you have the time. You know, it's so interesting because I remember when I, when I went to the uh, Florida Gulf Coast and spoke to the students up there, one of the students uh, made this point. You don't hear the questions on the, on the tape recording because I didn't, I didn't feel I had the right to put their questions up. But one of them said, well, you know, we're in college. 
You know, we're in college. We're having a good time. Why should we have to face these issues now? Why can't we wait later in life? You know, later, later in life, when we have more time while things settle down. You know, I said, yeah. I said, like, what, like 80, 90? Yeah, yeah. 89. I said, yeah. It's like, I said, perfect. You know, like like a deathbed kind of a, yeah. Yeah, that's it. You know, I can live my life. I can sow my wild oats. And finally, there I am on my deathbed. That's it. I'm going to get serious. And, and I said, well, unfortunately for you, uh, son, uh, every day I read the newspapers, I see a story where some young person is killed. Amen. Some terrible tragedy has taken place. Nobody expected it. Nobody expected it. And I see constantly people in their 20s and 30s and 40s uh, dying. And, and they never expected it. Nobody expected it. And God, you don't know what God has in store for you. You don't know where the road of this life leads. And so for you to recklessly think, recklessly think you can put that off, uh, is is the devil's lie. Satan would like nothing better than for you to believe, I don't have to worry about this now. I've got plenty of time. And here's the thing. What makes you think that in 20 or 30 years, your mind is, and heart is going to be more pliable than it is now? After spending 30 years of, of doing nothing but servicing yourself, me, me, I, I, all of a sudden... At the age of 50, 60, 70, oh, yeah, I'm going to recognize that I need a Savior. That's, that's the lie Satan would like you to understand. That is a lie. That is a lie. In fact, we know from studying uh, statistics that uh, unless a person is saved, by the time they get to be a, a, a 17 or 18 or 19 years old, the odds are that that person will take years to get saved. That's how important it is to come to Jesus Christ early in life. All right? And so uh, that, that's, that's the point of this. So Jesus is, is speaking to us about the light, about how important the light is. And Jesus would make it very clear, very clear in other passages that I am the light of the world. Turn to John chapter 8. Let me just show you again. Jesus would use this expression. I am the light. So when you see this, this is what Jesus is saying. John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There it is. The darkness is sin. The darkness is evil. Uh, the darkness is a life away from God. Jesus is the only antidote. Jesus is the light. And by the way, Notice, and you can underline this in your scripture, in your Bibles, Jesus says, the light, not a light. You know the difference? There's only one. The is a definite article. It refers to one and only. I am the light. So, there's your answer to ignorant people. Who will say, well, yes, I know, he's never said he was God, and he never said there was only one way. Oh, yeah, you were such a scholar of the Bible. You know, I just love when people do this. I mean, they just wallow, they just wallow in their ignorance. I mean, you feel bad for them. You feel bad for them. They hear these, these stories and, and, and this philosophy, and they take it in, and they're so wrong. Uh, here it is. I am the light. 
uh, and, and Jesus made it very clear. Look also um, in chapter 9 of John, verse 5, actually 4. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There it is. Again, I mean, you've got to love Jesus. He doesn't just say it once. Okay? He doesn't just say a throwaway line. He says it over and over and over again uh, until you get it. Look also at John chapter 3. And these are all good verses for you to note down and perhaps stick in your Bible so that when you speak to people about Jesus, you're able to bring these up. John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. Verse 19. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Boy, does that really summarize it. And man, humanity doesn't want the light. Humanity wants to wallow in evil. It wants to wallow in self. That's what this is about. At the end of the day, humanity wants to wallow in self. What can I get for me? What can I do for me? It's all about me. Me, me, I, I. That's what it's about. And that's exactly what Satan caters to. And that becomes, that attitude becomes evil and it becomes darkness. And so men do not want the light. It's only when men finally recognize the despair of their condition, that they're lost, that they need a savior desperately. And finally, when they recognize that and they reach out from the muck and mire of their, their existence and ask God to help them that everything changes. Look here also at verse 20. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. I don't want anybody looking at what I'm doing. I don't want anybody telling me what I have to do. I want to be the captain of my own ship. That's it. The SS destruction. Get on it and sail away. Get on board. You're doing a good job. You are doing a very, very good job. Verse 21. I didn't even have that written down. <laughs> but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Can you see that? What an amazing thing. So when we are living lives that are in accord with his will, when we are doing those kind of things, when God, what's happening there is we are walking in the light. You don't even realize that you're walking in the light. You've given him your heart. You've given him your life. You've submitted to him. It's no longer about you. And he now pours his grace into you. He pours his light into you. And you are now walking in the light. And as you walk into the light, you become the hands and feet of God. And so what happens? Now things are going to come across your radar screen. And now you're going to be touched. Like Tammy. Look, years ago, we would have seen somebody like that in church, and what would we have said? Oh, that's a shame. That's sad. i got to pray for her. That's, that's bad. And that would have been the end of it. Now, I'm all in favor of praying for her. we got to pray for her. But you understand what happens when you're walking in the light? When you're walking in the light, here's what happens. You go home at night, and you go to bed. And in the middle of the night, the Holy Spirit's right at you. And all of a sudden, you're not sleeping so good. And you're thinking about that lady. 
and you're thinking about that person, and you're thinking about that need, and you're tossing, and you're turning. I'm not having a good night's rest. Why are you doing this to me, God? It's because you're walking in the light. You wouldn't have been that way when you were walking in the darkness. When you were walking in the darkness, oh, yeah, I slept like a lion. You know, it was all about me. It's all about me. But now God brings stuff like this to before you, puts it in, in front of your eyes. And now you know that you have to step out. You have to do something. You can't even understand it yourself. And you have to get up and you do something. That's what God wants. That's walking in the light. As plain and simple as I can articulate it. That's what it means. And so you see this and you get this image. And so light has always been an image of God. Right back from the earliest scriptures. That's exactly how God referred to himself. Look at Psalm 27. So we can just see this. Tie again. I'm going to tie the old into the new. Psalm 27. Verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? There it is. The Lord is my light. Look at Psalm 36. Psalm 36, verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. How do you like that? In your light we see light. Amen? In the very light of God, walking in the light of God, you are given greater light yourself. You don't even understand what's going on. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so now needs are going to come up. People are going to come up who know you. People are going to start asking you to pray. I had an incredible uh, issue that occurred to me this week. When I was up at the house for Tammy and the, and the home inspectors were there. Uh, and I, the, I knew the home inspection was going to cost $1,000. And so I had called the company and spoken to one of the managers. And I asked if they could give us... I said, this is a very sad story. I'd like you to know what's going on here and hope maybe you could give me a discount on this. So about an hour later, the, the, the woman called back. That's the New Jersey in me. <laughs> about, an, about an hour later, the woman called back and said, I've talked to the owner of the company who decided to do it for free. I said, may God bless you. May the Lord shine his light upon you. You and your company, and your boss. I want them to all to be blessed because they have no idea what they're doing for the kingdom of God. Now, I didn't think anything more of it. So I'm now up at the house, and the inspectors are there, the workers are there going through various things, and the, the owner of the company comes in, and he says, I just want you to know, he said, that uh, you blessed us. And one of the men who was not on the phone who found out that you blessed us has just had major heart surgery. And would, would it be all right if I videotape you right now and you give a blessing to him? Oh, wow. Father John. <laughs> Can you believe that? Wow. And so right there, right there in the house with the workers all going on, I looked into the camera and I said, Brother, I want you to know. God is going to bless you. And I'm praying for you right now that he restores you fully. I appreciate greatly that you're part of this company that has given, given something to the kingdom of God. The blessings that are taking place here are going to inure to all of you. God bless you. And they were so grateful. Now, can you write a story like that? I mean, seriously. Do you think anything like that ever happened to me one day in court? You see the difference? Are you getting a picture of walking in the light 
Not even understanding what God has in front of you, what's going to come down the pike. And I know that all of you have your own stories, that wherever you are. I see guys here that are involved in prison ministries. I'm sure these kind of stories uh, resonate in the prison as well. This is God elevating the work that you're doing because you're walking in the light. And so you understand this. You see this. And so Jesus absolutely opposed darkness. He absolutely opposed evil. There was nothing that Jesus despised more than the darkness. Uh, and, and so the whole essence of our life, our Christian life, does not begin and end with accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's just the first beginning of it. it the, the next part of this is walking in the light. Turn to the, the Gospel of John. Turn, turn to 1 John, excuse me, the Epistle of John. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, meaning Jesus, and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. How's that for a set of powerful verses? If you are Christ's child, if you have turned your life over to him, if you have committed yourself to him, then you must walk in the light. You can't walk in the darkness. You can't walk in evil. You can't live a careless life anymore. Because the light of Jesus Christ is pouring down on you. Uh, and it is walking in that light daily, one step in front of the other. And notice it doesn't say run. It says walking. And, the, and the, the idea of walking is a deliberate, slow action. Stable. Every day. Constant. Every day. One foot in front of the other. Walking in the light. And as you walk in the light, as it says here, he will purify us from all of our sins. Amen? Amen? All right, let's close in prayer. We'll continue next week. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the words that you've given us. Father, help, them, help us to understand what it means to walk in the light. And help us to understand what a great term it was when you used Son of Man. That you loved us so much that even though you were God, you attached the terminology Son of Man for us. Thank you, Father for that great gift and for your love for us. I ask you to bless our people this week, protect them wherever they go, and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to 66 Lessons for Life, the men's Bible study taught by John Garippa and recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, so that you, the man of God, would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For more information about the program or attending the Naples Men's Bible Study at the Naples Conference Center, go to our website at 66lessonsforlife.com.